Welcome to the ACC Basketball Report Podcast. I am Michael Hunter, also known as at Picone36 on Twitter. This is the podcast that goes with all the content on the ACCBasketballReport.com. This is a crowdfunded podcast. Go to ACCBasketballReport.com, click on the RSS feed on the right-hand side, click on Be a Patron when you get to the Podbean website in order to contribute to support the podcast. I appreciate all the contributions. Uh, Big show today, a lot of stuff to get to. Uh, I didn't get the power rankings up this Friday due to uh, some traveling. I had some family fly down from Maine, so I had to go to South Carolina, visit the parents, get drunk, play cards, do all that shit, and uh, didn't have time to uh, to get the updated power rankings on. I am going to release them today during the show. This show is going to run a little bit longer than it typically does. I may fiddle with the idea of doing the power rankings on the podcast every Sunday instead of doing the rankings on Friday before all the Saturday games. The website itself may continue to see some content on it, but it may be switching to a message board type situation with uh, some some quick hit articles every now and then, 400 to 600 words, uh, something similar to the LeBerry situation, which was a which was a post I put up earlier this week uh, regarding the uh, resignation of Georgia Tech assistant coach Daryl LeBerry. Uh, go there, check that out. Uh, leave me comments. Uh, I always uh, I'm always looking for a good debate, a good conversation when it comes to ACC hoops. Um, again, if you don't know what happened with Daryl LeBerry, uh, again, go to the website, uh, check it out. It's it's pretty. It's an interesting situation, and it raises concerns or continuing concerns with me as far as the NCAA resisting their the the inclination, I guess, or their own responsibilities for punishing blue blood programs. Um, and in in that in that set, in that train of thought, they end up punishing programs that maybe you're building, such as Georgia Tech. Um, I'm not going to get too much into uh, that situation today on the podcast. I've uh, got too many other things to get to, I think. But uh, again, visit the site, check on the link, um, and, and leave me your thoughts. Also, uh, please feel free to like, share, rate, review this podcast. Uh, help me get some sponsors. That would be fantastic. You know, Tell your friends, tell your siblings, tell your mom about the ACC Basketball Report. Jumping right into the week in review, we'll go to last Sunday. There was only one game on the docket. G-Tech went to BC, blows a 13-point lead, and ends up ultimately losing the game in overtime, 80-72. to uh, Josh Kogi fouls out for the Yellow Jackets, and after that, essentially, uh, the Yellow Jackets look lost. You know, they don't get shit done on offense. Uh, Chapman, Bo- Chapman, Bowman, Robinson combined for 55. And in typical Georgia Tech fashion, uh, a guy that averages under three points per game on the season, John Carlos Reyes, has ten points. And just killed him in pick and roll situations, killed him in uh, slip screens. Uh, it was it was a bad day to be a G-Tech fan. It's a bad season to be a G-Tech fan. Moving into Monday, Syracuse goes to Louisville and actually gets the win. Tyus Battle scores 25. Howard scores 22. Uh, Adele and Snyder to c- combine to go 3 for 17, 1 for 11 from deep. Uh, you know, essentially the only guy that really showed up was uh, was Ray Spaulding. Uh, that Syracuse zone really, really fucked with Louisville. Uh, this was a game that I did not see this outcome coming. Uh, it is a, a win that is certainly going to help Syracuse on their NCAA tournament resume. Currently, I, I don't have them in still. I have them as the first team out for the ACC. Uh, we'll get into that in a few minutes as well. Moving on to Tuesday, another one-game day. Boston College, you know, they, they get the win at home, and they go on the road and, and not really lay an egg, but they don't get the win. Uh, they lose in South Bend to Notre Dame, 96-85. to <laughs> The story of the game, however, was Jerome Robinson uh, going off for 40, uh, 46 points in what was a remarkable, you know, offensive effort uh, for him. Uh, you know, because he plays for Boston College, not a, p- a lot of people seem to know about Jerome Robinson. I'm going to talk about him a little bit today after we get through uh, the week in review. You know, Notre Dame makes 16 triples, and that was really the difference, obviously, um, along with only five turnovers. But typically, you know, if you're Boston College, you got to be frustrated. Your best player goes out, scores 46, and you still lose by 10 because you give up almost 100 points. You know, that's always been the knock on Boston College is they don't play defense for shit, uh, but they can certainly score. Uh, moving into Wednesday night, a little bit more of a, a crowded slate. Virginia goes down to Tallahassee and pulls out a 59-55 win. 
in what looks to be a typical Virginia win. This, however, is not the case. Uh, I was watching this game. I thought FSU was going to dump the Cavs when, when I was watching the first half. Uh, FSU up at the half. I thought they'd win. They were up by 10. Uh, Virginia clamps down on defense in the second half, though. Phil Kofer, who was money in the first half, disappears, doesn't do anything. Uh, Terrence Mann, Brian Angola also did nothing in the second half. Mann may have been a little bit dinged up. Uh, he left the game early on but did come back. Angola went one for 11 in this game. He's a guy that typically the Seminoles are reliant on to give them a pretty steady dose of offense. Uh, uh, Devin Hall, Kyle Guy, and uh, Ty Jerome combined for 45 and hit seven triples between the three of them. <clears throat> so I guess in actuality it is a typical Virginia game other than the fact that they didn't dominate from start to finish on defense. I thought FSU played really well in the first half, and I, I actually thought that FSU was going to get this win, especially at home. Turns out not to be the case. Uh, Wake Forest goes to Miami, actually plays pretty well, but still loses to the Hurricanes, 87-81. to Lonnie Walker with 19, and there was four other players in double figures for Miami. Uh, nice, well-rounded effort for them. You know, Wake Forest couldn't stop fouling. Um, Miami shoots 37 free throws. There's 26 fouls on Wake Forest. Darrell Moore, of course, fouls out. And uh, Wake gets the win. Uh, I'm sorry, Wake gets the loss. They just continue to find ways to lose. Uh, this was a new one by me. Uh, NC State goes down to Blacksburg and actually drops one to Virginia Tech in two teams that are currently on the bubble looking for, for quality wins to put on their NCAA tournament resume. Uh, Justin Robinson, I'm sorry, Markel Johnson, 15 points, 10 assists, 5 rebounds. Al Freeman, his typical day when he's not playing North Carolina, goes 3 for 13 for 8 points. Justin Robinson was was basically the difference as he has been in most Virginia Tech games this year. Uh, he got to the rack at will in this game. He ended up with 32 points. I think he only shot uh, three triples, which is uh, a little out of character for him. But the NC State defense, which is surprising because Johnson was on in most of the game, um, they just couldn't stop him from getting into the lane. And once he gets in there, he's going to make things happen. Um, he is just a really good player. And it, people are starting to pick up on the fact that Justin Robinson is one of the best point guards in the ACC. Uh, moving into Thursday's slate, this, is a, this wasn't a shocker, um, but, you know, GTAC goes up to Louisville and gets fucking blitzed. I actually haven't even watched this game. Um, this is a burn-the-tape situation. Again, I was out of town that night. I was well, well into a bottle of Basil Hayden's at this point. Um, and uh, they end up losing 77-54 uh, to 54 at Louisville. Josh Okogie, as typical, uh, Josh Okogie, uh, 25-10. and 10. He's the only bright spot. Uh, G-Tech turns the ball over 20 times, and they shoot 36%. So... You know, it's just another season of ass whoopings for G-Tech at this point. Jordan Nyora, Nwora, I butcher his name every time and I apologize for it, hits five triples in 20 minutes. Um, <clears throat> of course, you know, typically another guy that isn't a big time player that seems to just come out when G-Tech plays them and, and do something to help his team beat the Yellow Jackets. Uh, Louisville, you know, Spalding, Mahmoud, Malik Williams, that trio basically goes in, shuts down, A.D. Gay, Ben Lammers, they go 3 of 17 from the field, only two free throw attempts between the two of them. Uh, talk to some G-Tech guys that I know and trust that watch this game, and uh, especially uh, my boy Rec Hoops on Twitter. Uh, you know, I, I told him I hadn't watched the game yet, it might be a burn the tape situation, and he just flat out told me to burn the tape. So that's not a game that I'm going to take in, uh, not a whole lot of insight there. Uh, of course, biggest game of the week, uh, Duke goes into Chapel Hill in their, in their yearly uh, uh, matchup of, as far as you know, easily, the best, easily the best rivalry in, uh, in hoops right now. Maybe some people say in American sports, I'm, you know, I'm not convinced Jay Billis is correct there. There's some other stuff that, around the country that goes on that is better than Duke-UNC, but not, not a lot. Uh, UNC gets the win, like I predicted, 82-78. Um, I did say last week that Grayson Allen was going to do something to impact this game, whether it be positive or negative, that was yet to be seen. And almost right on cue, I thought he was going to go for 30, the way he started this game. Uh, he hit a couple triples in the first few minutes that didn't even come close to hitting the rim. Uh, but then he disappeared. He ended up with nine points at the end of the game. Uh, Kenny Williams, however, did his best Grayson Allen versus Michigan State impression and was fantastic from deep. I mean, every time the ball left his hands, I thought it was going in. It just looked good every time. Uh, him and Cam Johnson pretty much led the way. Joel Berry did have a great second half. Uh, Johnson ends up with a double-double, 18-13. and 13. Marvin Bagley, 
big game situation, big double-double, 15 and 16 for Duke. Um, in the second half, it was kind of the Joel Berry show, and UNC was running off misses, running off free throws, running off made baskets, run, 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 and, it, you know, Alex O'Connell played heavy minutes. Well, not heavy minutes. He played more of a part than he typically does, and he actually showed up for Duke. He has in double digits with 10. But, you know, UNC kind of kind of took Duke out of their comfort zone. Uh, Trayvon Duvall, not not a great not a great game. I didn't think by any standard. Um, did have a huge huge dunk that was fairly impressive. That kind of made me go whoa. Uh, you know, it's a typical Duke UNC game. Four point spread. I did think UNC would win on their home court, and I think Duke is going to win uh, when they go to Cameron here in a few weeks. So, you know. It's it's fun every year. I don't like either team. I don't like either program. They are the blue bloods that I think get away with a ton of nonsense, and you know that's the reason that that you know programs like GTAC gets hammered for three hundred dollars worth of clothing to a wide receiver on the football game on the football team. That's why Syracuse gets hammered with twelve lost scholarships and fucking no recruiting hours and all that nonsense they got hit with because Fab Mello got an English paper written for him. Um, you know, but it's still fun because it's very good basketball. Um, if I had to choose, I would love for in the last hundred matchups for UNC to be a hundred no. Uh, that's just me. But uh, moving on to the final game of Thursday night, Pitt goes down to Clemson. Pitt finds a way to lose. Uh, Clemson continues to just surprise the shit out of it. I didn't think they were going to lose this game, but they just—I mean—they win seventy-two to forty-eight. Just boat racing the Panthers. Uh, Gabe DeVoe goes for 25. He's also named the ACC Player of the Week this week. But Clemson is just, it, you know, Dante Grantham goes out. There should be some kind of, of lull, of some kind of letdown, some kind of, holy shit, we just lost our most effective player. But it hasn't been that way. Gabe DeVoe, who was a tremendous scorer in high school, he came to Clemson with that profile of being a big-time scorer. Uh, he's really showing it during his senior year. Uh, Clemson, I thought, would take a step back, maybe end up sneaking into the tournament as a 8 or 9, 10 seed, something like that. Uh, they're currently on the 3 or 4 line, I believe. So, you know, Brad Brownell has done a wonderful job with them this year. Uh, certainly not something I expected when I did my preseason predictions. But, uh, you know, Pitt, you know, you got to take this performance with a little bit of grain of salt. It is Pittsburgh. You know, Kevin Stallings is still coaching there for whatever reason. Uh, no games on Friday. Moving into... <coughs> A big Saturday slate yesterday. Uh, Virginia finally goes down. And what was, uh, you know, if Villanova hadn't lost earlier in the week, it would have been the biggest shocker uh, of the week. But, uh, you know, Virginia at home against Virginia Tech, obviously their in-state rival. Virginia, you know, kicked the tits off them in Blacksburg on at Castle uh, a couple months ago. Uh, Virginia Tech comes in. They did everything they could to try to lose the game towards the end. Uh, my guy, Justin Robinson, uh, not some great decision making and actually missed a free throw. You know, the thing about this game, and it did go to overtime, there was some, you know, shenanigans at the end uh, of regulation. I thought, again, Virginia Tech did everything they could to lose this game. Virginia just wasn't able to take advantage. Uh, they win on a Kerry Blackshear putback in overtime. It was everything that could go wrong for Virginia essentially did go wrong. Um, you know, Kyle Guy goes cold, 5 of 21 overall. Uh, Devon Hall is out there missing free throws, which the kid is a 93% free throw shooter. And, and Ty Jerome didn't have another clutch shot in his bag of tricks, which if anybody's watched Virginia play this year, Ty Jerome always seems to have a play or hit a big three at the end of games that either seal the game for Virginia or bring Virginia back into the lead and, and get them and put them in a position to win. Now he did make you know an elbow jumper. Uh, to I believe believe I believe bring them within two and then hit a nice little runner to tie the game. It may have, I, I'm not sure it was a couple days ago, but anyway, it was just uh, it was Virginia's chance or time to lose a game, and the performance such as this is why a lot of people will not pick Virginia to make it to the Final Four because if they go cold from deep, they just they 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 don't have essentially the tempo or the ability to go up tempo if they fall behind to actually catch up and, 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 and beat a team that can run on them, like, like Duke. The, this next Duke game that they're going to play at some point is going to be a real test for Virginia. Duke is going to come in and they're going to score a lot of fucking points. Um, Virginia doesn't really have the ability to score a lot of points. They have the ability to score points efficiently when they run their stuff. 
in this game, Virginia Tech actually led this game by seven at one point, maybe nine. Um, and I thought Virginia was done. But, of course, you know, they clamp down. Uh, you know, they get back into the game. Jai Jerome did make some, some shots to get him back in it, but he also missed a couple threes towards the end that, that ultimately would have got them the win. Um, <clears throat> getting back to Virginia and their, and their tournament aspirations, though, I still think they're a Final Four team. You know, I think a lot of people are going to look at this game and say, geez, look at that offense. They, they really struggled. Virginia Tech, for the first time all season, played defense. I thought Chris Clark played a hell of a game. Uh, you know, you look at the box score and you're not going to see a whole lot. Chris Clark was everywhere on the floor. Um, getting offensive rebounds, he had one really big offensive rebounds. I do have a little bit of complaint with his hair, though. I thought that looked fairly ridiculous. But, um, you know, Virginia Tech's a good team. Virginia Tech's a talented team. And Virginia, while they're also a very good team, it, you're n it very rarely is anybody going to go undefeated in ACC play. It's just their turn to lose. Um, I think the next team they play is going to come out and probably get bitch slapped, and they're going to play defense with a with a passion, with a you know, with a little chip on their shoulder. And I, I think Virginia's going to be fine. Um, you know, one other thing, I guess a small note from this game is Ahmed Hill only played eight minutes for Virginia Tech, which anybody who follows the Hokies. Hill's a big-time player. Uh, early in the season, was a really, really good player. I believe led them in scoring for probably half a season. Uh, he's only got 24 minutes of game time in his last two games. He had struggled lately in ACC play. Uh, I think if Virginia Tech gets in the tournament, if they're going to make any kind of noise, Ahmed Hill needs to be part of that rotation. He needs to be a part of that offense. He needs to be a part of that that perimeter threat that they have that allows Kerry Blackshear to go one-on-one -on -one in the in the post. Um, of course, you know, NAW is a great player. Uh, Bibbs has been really good lately. Uh, he's averaging 13, 14 points over his last five or six games, I think. Um, obviously, Justin Robinson, who was, again, fantastic yesterday, uh, put that team on his back. You know, that that's a great trio on the wing. Ahmed Hill is a guy that can go out there and hit seven triples for you. You know, um, just just another threat, and of course, guard play in the tournament is is essential. So, something to keep an eye on moving forward. I, I suspect that it was a uh, a learning situation that, uh, that 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 Williams was having there with Hill, and I expect him to come out in the next game and really uh, put up some points and play with a fire in his belly. Uh, UNC goes to Raleigh and repays the favor. Uh, to uh, to the Wolfpack, 96-89. NC State, of course, getting the win in Chapel Hill a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, this was a game that I watched. It was a really entertaining game. Uh, really interesting game as well. Uh, Luke May has six first, six first half points. Uh, not really looking like himself, uh, but UNC was obviously in it. He comes out in the second half, scores 27 second half points, ends up with 33 and 17. UNC shoots nearly 80% in the second half. Um, the only reason the NC State was really in the game was Torn Dorn played lights out. Um, you know, made some really, really tough shots, made some, you know, had some good offensive work, uh, offensive glass work. And, uh, you know, Omer at seven. He had been looking really good, uh, did not look good in this game, only played 19 minutes, had 10 points. Uh, uh, Kevin Keats was, uh, I think he liked the Leonard Freeman matchup a little bit better against that UNC front line. Uh, year seven, again, he wasn't in foul trouble, he was just ineffective yesterday. Uh, I'd expect to see that change as well. One interesting fact from yesterday, all 10 starters, uh, all both both teams, five starters. Everybody's in double figures. It was a really fun game to watch. A lot of offense. Uh, Mark L. Johnson did have 12 points, nine assists, five boards, but he also had six turnovers. Well, not a great offensively efficient game as far as a floor game from Johnson. It was kind of disappointing. Uh, you know, story of the game: UNC plus 17 on the glass, 21 second half, uh, second chance points. Uh, I believe the Wolfpack had two second chance points, if I remember correctly. I believe it was 21 to two. I don't have that written down, and I apologize for that. Um, but, you know, UNC playing the UNC game. Um, it, this was the game I expected when UNC played Virginia Tech when they lost. And for some reason, they didn't play this type of hit the offensive glass, rebound, run, run, run. They didn't do that against Virginia Tech, and they ended up losing. They get back to their roots. They go to NC State. Obviously, they beat their rival. Obviously, there's a little bit of motivation here because the Wolfpack beat them in overtime in Chapel Hill um, just, just recently. So NC State having a, a fairly tough week. Uh, might be playing their way in the wrong direction, according to the bubble. I still think they're in. 
but I believe in the eye test. That's just me. I actually like to watch games instead of look at fucking numbers, but again. Uh, another surprise of the day, but not really. If you're an ACC fan, Miami goes to BC and loses as BC continues to defend their home court. Uh, a lot of people aren't giving Chestnut Hill enough credit, I don't think. BC's really good at home. Um, Miami was actually up 70-63 to 63 with six minutes to go. They don't score another point the rest of the way. Jerome Robinson, in typical Jerome Robinson fashion, takes over the game, hits a jumper, hits a layup, hits a couple free throws. He has 29 points. Kai Bowman has 24 uh, you know, Miami remains unpredictable. You know, I've been talking up Anthony Lawrence for the last two podcasts, I think, and he lays an egg in Chestnut Hill, which, you know, not a huge deal. I think Miami's, you know, securely in the tournament right now. Uh, they're inside the top 25, so, you know, obviously I think, you know, they're they're well in there. They're, I think they're on the five line right now, according to Joey Brackets. But they're so unpredictable, you know. Um, Dewan Huell, not a great game yesterday. Uh, Lonnie Walker did have a pretty good game. But, uh, you know, I, I think they, they have played really well and better than I expected since Bruce Brown's been out. But, you know, all year this team has just lacked something. I don't really know what that something is. But maybe, you know, maybe it's a leader. You know, Lonnie Walker and Chris Likes are, are freshman scoring guards. Um you know, Jaquan Newton has never been the the leader type guy on that team. Now he's coming off the bench. He is playing better, but still, I don't. I'm not sure if if he's the leader. I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what's going on there. But their team, that their first weekend team, we'll, I'll put it that way. This is not a team that I expect to make a whole lot of noise in the tournament. They have Final Four caliber talent, but they have, but they're on court product is is severely lacking any kind of tournament threat um also another surprise yesterday fsu goes up to south bend and loses to notre dame 84 to 69 uh brian angola struggles for the second straight game uh notre dame has now won two in a row after getting boat raced by uh, nc state and raleigh a few weeks ago matt farrell 28 points yesterday uh terrence mandel only five which um, uh, you know i thought in the FSU game that he got dinged up in um, with Virginia that he didn't quite look right when he came back and after watching this game yesterday he, there's something wrong there he, he ain't right and that's that's bad news bears for uh, for uh, Florida State because of of all the parts that they have on this team I think Angola is a good player Terrence Mann is the one constant for this team that you know that gets them through difficult times in game and he'd been playing really well prior to that injury, and since that injury, he, he's not playing very well at all. So that is the week in review. Uh, obviously, Florida State and NC State have uh, have rough weeks. You know, Boston College, they're not going to make the tournament, but they're a team that could win the NIT, I think. Uh, whether or not they get there, I don't know. Um, I think they're going to end up with a similar record to, like, what Georgia Tech had last year, and you're going to see, you know, a similar type run. Now... I would lo I would love to see Boston College get into the tournament just for shits and giggles. I think they could get in there and hit 15 threes and knock somebody off, and I would you know jump up for joy being a Northeastern guy myself. Um, I, I think well we'll get into it in a sec. Uh, bubble watch real quick my own version the ACC version that's why we're all here that's all we care about. Virginia Tech playing their way off the bubble and into the tournament right at this point. Um, teams starting to come together you know they put the North Carolina win in the book. Uh, you know, they get the Virginia win in the book. They're, they're starting to gel. Justin Robinson is emerging, emerging as their star, as their leader. Chris Clark, while, you know, probably statistically not having as good a year as he did last year, does everything on the floor for them. Um, Kerry Blackshear, you know, redshirt sophomore, injured last year. I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, he comes in yesterday, has a, a basically a terrible game for... 44 minutes and 54 seconds and you know doesn't give up doesn't put his head down instead he hits the offensive glass and and gets the Hokies the win there um I think Virginia Tech is pretty well inside right now I don't, I don't think they have a lot to worry about now they still have to continue you know you have to carry on you need to put yourself in a position where you're securely in going into the NC, uh, ACC tournament so you're not forced to win two games there um you know right now you have to put them ahead of um of Syracuse, you have to put them ahead of NC State, I think, and you might even have to put them ahead of Florida State. 
at this point. Um, I, I'm not sure everybody's going to agree with that, but if I had to pick a team out of those two, I think Virginia Tech has a higher ceiling than Florida State. Absolutely. Um, I'm not sure resume-wise. I haven't seen. I haven't looked. I'm not going to look. I don't really care about that shit. I like to watch teams play and draw my conclusions there. Um, moving on to NC State. I think NC State's playing their way out right now. They weren't a strong bubble team to begin with. I think I was probably higher on them than anybody else, and that was because I watched them play quite a bit, uh, being you know five, 15 minutes outside of Raleigh right now. Um, they go on the road now to Syracuse and to Wake Forest. You have to beat Syracuse. And, and you obviously are expected to beat Wake Forest, so you have to get that win as well. NC State needs to go 2-0 and over these next two games to be taken seriously and be given a, a legit shot at the at a bubble berth. Um, and obviously, Syracuse, who is currently the, the first team out, according to Lenardi, also has to win that game at home against NC State. I think NC State's a better team, whether or not they perform that way, you know, I'm 50-50 on uh, maybe 51-49 when, when given the opportunity. It's all about how they play defense. You know, um, you're going to go to Syracuse, battle and how we're going to shoot a ton of threes, but you're going to see that long zone. Um, you're going you're gonna to need your guys. You're going to need Dorn, Hunt, Al Freeman, Markel Johnson, Braxton Beverly. They're going to have to make Syracuse pay for playing that zone that they're going to see. The way Al Freeman's been playing lately against teams that aren't powder blue, I'm not sure he's got it. Torn Dorn has been playing well lately. Sam Hunt hasn't been seeing a whole lot of minutes. Uh, Braxton Beverly, you know, the shot looks good, but, you know, he doesn't shoot a very great, you know, a really efficient percentage. Jesus, I can't speak English, it seems like, right now. Uh, Markel Johnson's obviously – I'm going to say this right now. Let's say people ain't going to like this. Two of the top three point guards in the ACC were playing against each other yesterday. One of them's Markel Johnson. The other one's obviously Joel Berry. Markel Johnson's one of the top three point guards in the conference. Sorry. You know, he don't play for Duke. He don't play for Carolina. He don't play for Miami. He don't play for Virginia. I'm sorry to break it to you. Markel Johnson is an incredible point guard. I would love to have him at GTAC, even though I got Alvarado, who I think is a really good player. Um, Markel Johnson, now that we've finally got Justin Robinson, some, some pub, some publicity, uh, some recognition, I think he's probably in that top three as well. I think those are the three top point guards in the conference. Justin Robinson, Markel Johnson, and Joel Berry. Um, you know, he needs to play defense. He needs to be good for NC State. And obviously when they get to the tournament, he's going to be the biggest part of NC State's success if they're, if they're able to, to get any, is, is that point guard position. I think he's their X factor. You know, the, the, st the stats don't lie. When you look at when Johnson performs well, NC State typically wins. Now, he performed pretty well yesterday, but he did have six turnovers, and they lost. So, Markel Johnson, top three point guard in the ACC. Write that down. Uh, Syracuse, we already talked about, currently the first team out, according to Lenardi. I agree. I, you know, I said a couple weeks ago I didn't think Syracuse was a tournament team. Their resume supports that they are, especially now that they won that game at Louisville. I, I, I think they're. I, I don't think they're going to make it. I don't think they're they're going to be in the tournament. I don't think they should be in the tournament at this point. Um, they have some talent, but when I look at tournament teams, if, if I'm on the committee, and obviously I'm not, um, I want teams in the tournament that can make the Sweet 16. If you're going to get an at-large bid, you need to have the potential to go to the Sweet 16. Now, obviously, Bayheim has done it before with teams that didn't have much high upside uh, in public opinion. You know, they weren't super talented, you know, what everybody thought. They were 9-9, they snuck in, they ended up making the Final Four. I don't see that with this team at all. You know, um, Gabinajay was, was a, a really good scoring guard, similar to Tyus Battle. But that team had more to it, I think, than this one does. Howard and Battle just like to play pass back, and then somebody will shoot a three at the end of the shot clock. There's not a whole lot there. Um, again, the, the ball don't lie, and it'll sort itself out. Now, on the bubble, I'm beginning to wonder about Florida State. They've now lost three or four. They're playing their way onto the bubble. I thought they were securely in coming into this week, but they had a tough week. Um, they closed the season against Clemson, Pitt, at NC State, at Clemson, Boston College at home. Um, I think they're going to end up 9-9, nine and nine, and I wonder if that's good enough. Uh, they do obviously have wins over Florida, Louisville, Miami. Um, to me, you've got to beat Clemson at home, you've got to beat Pitt at home, and you've got to beat uh, Boston College at home. You, you have to get those three wins. If you can find a way to win at Raleigh, then you're safe. 
but it's not outside their own possibilities that these guys go two and four. You know, you can you can lose both games to Clemson. The way Gabe DeVoe's shooting the ball right now, you can lose that game. There, there could be a situation where the only game you win is home against Pitt and home against BC. Um, I'm sorry, go two and three, not two and four. Um, if these guys go eight and ten in conference, you're sweating out selection Sunday big time because Florida, Florida might be back. Florida might be ranked, but Florida was number five when Florida State beat them. They've come, they've come way down to earth since that. Florida was thought to be a, a title contender when Florida State beat them. I think we've all realized that, that the Gators aren't quite that. Now, they're one of the best shooting teams in the country, and when they're on it, it's damn hard to beat them. But they are, you know, when they were number five in the country, they were really rolling and uh, coming off a nice uh, PK-80 tournament appearance. Um, I, I, I wonder about FSU. Leonard Hamilton fucking fooled me again. God damn it. Um... You know, I said I wasn't going to buy in. I said it loud, said it proud, and then I bought in, and they immediately went in the shitter, and I just punched myself in the balls for it. All right, we're going to get into something else here that uh, I don't really want to get into. I've, I've touched on it before, episode two, episode three, something. I don't know. Um, the fucking the dirt bag from Arizona uh, has, has come out again and accused Josh Pastner uh, they've filed suit, him and his old lady have filed suit against Josh Pastner for uh, sexual assault uh, and some other things. Um, this, this is the reason for, this wasn't new news, okay? This isn't a new, uh, you know, thing that happened. We knew about this, well, not this specifically. We knew something was going on when Pastner filed the defamation suit in, in December against these people. Um, if, you know, people are speculating that Pastner may not survive this, if he was going to be fired, he would have been fired weeks ago. G-Tech knew about this accusation. Um, he, they, even as a, this isn't Louisville, okay? I'm just going to say it that way because I, I don't really know how else to put it. If they thought there was any merit to these accusations, Josh Pastner would have been gone that day, okay? Instead, they stand behind Pastner. I'm talking about G-Tech. The GTEC fan base, who I want to be honest, at first were not fond of this hire. Okay, do and, and even after last season's successes, this this season's failures have soured some of GTEC's uh, uh, fans as far as Josh Pastner's ceiling at Georgia Tech. Even those people do not see this as a reason to fire him. I stand behind Josh Pastner. I think Josh Pastner is currently a victim of the current social climate, and I think there's a dirtbag in Arizona that's trying to take advantage of that and ruin a man's life simply because Josh Pastner didn't allow him to eat in the cafeteria with the fucking basketball team and didn't call him on his goddamn birthday. Okay? This is a coach that doesn't curse, that at one point suspended his one of his players for cursing. Okay? This is a guy who has been described as militant in his observation of, of, of NCAA uh, rules and, and possible infractions and things going on, things of that nature. This man doesn't curse, okay? You think he's out there grabbing tits and ass in public for the whole world to see? I certainly don't. Not to mention that his wife is a goddamn smoke show. You know, not that that means anything, but, you know, it just doesn't fit the narrative. And there's certainly cases where, you know, people wear, you know, a mask in public and they're a completely different person behind closed doors. Um, I think this is a situation where, you know, Pastner surrounded himself with shady individuals and now those shady individuals are doing shady shit, you know. Um, I, I think it's as cut and dry as that. I think when this is all said and done, which I, I don't think anything will, will come about anytime soon, this is something that's going to come out 90 days, six months down the road, it, it, when this all gets hashed out, people are going to see this fucking guy for who he really is and see his, his, his girlfriend for who she really is. Ultimately, I think she might actually be the victim in this situation, but I think she's a victim the other way. She's being, you know, she's being manipulated by somebody to hurt, uh, you know, to hurt somebody that hurt the person who's manipulating her. Um, they're trying to burn Josh Bastner's, uh, you know, career to the ground 
and take Georgia Tech with it. And right now, GTAC and the public and, and the fans, they ain't have that. We, we know what the real situation is. We know what's really going on. Unfortunately, there's some guys like Gary Parrish that may not realize that. So maybe there's that. Moving on, power rankings. I, like I said, didn't release them Friday. I got them here. Uh, a little bit of a situation here. I redid them three times. Um, I, 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 I had Duke at two, even after the loss at UNC. Uh, couldn't keep him there. Couldn't justify that. If somebody had asked me, I couldn't have kept him there. I did, however, keep Virginia at one, even after the overtime loss. Um, I moved UNC up, but I couldn't put him at number one. So the power rankings are as follows. Virginia at one, UNC at two, followed by Clemson and Duke at three and four. I moved Duke down to four. Um, you know, consecutive losses, you can't lose to St. John's, even at Madison Square Garden. Can't do it. And for those of you who think that I might be smiling while I'm, while I'm talking shit about Duke, you're absolutely right. Big grin. Big shit-eating grin. Um, can't lose to St. John's. At even at Madison Square Garden. Can't lose against a team that can't win a game in the Big East. Now, of course, they've since remedied that situation as well, knocking off the number one team in the country. Maybe they're hot, maybe they're not. Maybe Duke sucks. I don't know. I don't think so. But, uh, you know, they got to turn it around. I think you're going to see them turn it around in a big fucking way tonight in Atlanta. But, you know, that's yet to be seen. Uh, Virginia Tech comes in at number five. Miami comes in at number six. Again, the Hurricanes are really talented. The Hurricanes have Final Four talent. The Hurricanes do not have a Final Four product that they're putting on the floor. Them and number seven, Louisville, I don't know what to expect at the tip at any given game on any given night. No idea what they're going to do. They might score 100 and win by 50. They might go 2 of 20 and lose by 25. I don't know what's going on. Um, a lot of talent. Obviously, Louisville's playing on their first-year coach, David Padgett, so I give them a little bit more leeway as, as far as how much I beat on them. I don't, I don't know what the reason is in Miami. Uh, you know, is it a locker room issue? Is it a leadership issue? Are these guys not buying into Laranega? You know, I don't know. But there, there's something going on there. Uh, Florida State, I have at 8. NC State, I have at 9. Notre Dame, I have at 10. Syracuse fans are going to whoop my ass for this. Right now, I think Notre Dame's a better team than Syracuse. Uh, I don't think they're a tournament team right now. Um, I don't think Syracuse is either, though. Uh, I got Syracuse at 11, and then the bottom four of BC, GTAC, Wake Forest, and Pittsburgh. Uh, I think those four at the bottom are clearly out of the picture here. Um, you know, they could play spoiler, especially Boston College. They have that capability. Uh, GTAC, I don't want to say they're done, but they're done. Um, Wake Forest and Pitt, obviously, they've been done for weeks. Pitt has obviously given up and mailed it in. If Stallings comes back next year, Whew. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that, they might be worse next year. Uh, you know, I, I, I think they've mailed it in. Um, Boston College, though. Boston College is an up-and-comer. Talked about it last week. If you didn't hear it, go back, check it out. Moving on to a Boston College-related topic. Again, power rankings. Sorry. Comments, concerns, arguments, send them to me. Love to talk to you. Love the debate, people. Send them to me. Uh, you know, my DMs are open. The website has a contact link on it. Feel free. You know, comment. Write a, write a terrible review. As long as you give it five stars, you can write a terrible review on iTunes. All right? We'll make that deal. Call me an asshole. Call me a motherfucker. But give me five stars. All right. Moving on to a question that I have, and it was a question that was brought up the other day during a game. Can Jerome Robinson be player of the year in the conference on a team that is not going to go to the NCAA tournament? Obviously, the answer to that question is no. If you don't go to the tournament, I don't think you're going to be player of the year in the ACC. Marvin Bagley is going to win player of the year in the ACC, I think. Um, Jerome Robinson, though, is putting up numbers at a rate where you have to talk about him. He, he's going to be a finalist. He's going to be a first-team all-conference player. At least he should be. He, he's averaging 25.5 points a game in conference play. I don't know if anybody knows that. Nobody talks about it. I don't watch ESPN, so I don't know if they've been talking about it. But I'm on Twitter with a lot of college basketball guys. Not very many people are talking about Jerome Robinson and what he's been doing as far as lighting up the scoreboard lately. Uh, also, in conference play this year, he's shooting 50% 50, 50 from three-point range. That's fucking crazy. Especially some of the threes that he shoots. I don't know if, like I said, I don't know if you guys watch a whole lot of Boston College games. You know, maybe I'm the only demented fuck that does that. But some of the shots he takes 
our NBA range. Some of the shots he takes are off one foot. Some of the shots he takes, he's fading to his left. The guy is just, he's deadly. I really hope he stays because I really think that Boston College can be good next year. And also, he's averaging three boards and three assists a game. So he's not just, he's not Jimmer, you know? I mean, he isn't anyway. He's not that, I don't think he's quite that type of talent. But he's also doing other things other than just hunting his shot. Um, by comparison, in conference play, Joel Berry, 17.5 points, three assists, four boards, 34% from deep. So Jerome Robinson is just blowing Joel Berry statistically out of the water. Now, Joel Berry is going to be a first-team All-ACC guy. Should he be that guy? Should he be on that team if Jerome Robinson isn't? I don't know. That's a legit question. I don't know if I have the answer. I, I think Joel Berry is a first-team player. I also think Jerome Robinson is a first-team player. Now, in the preseason, a lot of people had Ben Lammers, Josh Kogi. I know, I know I, keep, I bring up Georgia Tech a lot, but it's true. They had these guys, either one or the other, on a first-team ballot, on a first-team team. Um, obviously, neither one of them are going to make that team. Jerome Robinson should slide in there quite nicely um, and be a first-team ACC player, in my opinion. I don't think this should be really up for any kind of debate. The debate should be whether or not he can be a legit contender for the Player of the Year award. He should be. A contender, uh, but he's not going to be the winner. You have to, you actually have, you have to give the winner to a guy whose team performs at a high level. Um, you know, you can go out there and score 25 points for a terrible team. Not to say Boston College is terrible. I think they're underrated. I think they're an NIT team. I think the NIT would be, would be, you know, well, would be lucky to have them. I guess I should say. But I'd also, you know, this isn't a guy that's going to lead his team to the tournament. But he's also not Donnie Carr at LaSalle, who's going to score 26 a game in the in the late 90s and, and be the all-time leading scorer, and his team only wins eight games a year. So uh, if you have not seen Jerome Robinson play, which I don't know if you, while you're listening to this podcast, if you haven't watched BC play, check him out. He's fucking awesome to watch. At the very least, he's going to make the game interesting. He's going to do something during the game that's going to make you go, holy shit, how come I haven't watched this guy before? Check out Jerome Robinson. In that same train of thought, we're going to do a little something today called Hype versus Reality. These are conference game statistics, player A, player B, blind test. The reason I'm doing this one is because Jerome Robinson's a stud and I want to get his name out there and I wanted to tie a little bit to him. The other reason is that I got fooled on Twitter the other day, and I talked about this last week, when somebody did me a, gave me a blind test between Boise State and Syracuse, who should make the tournament. I picked Syracuse, obviously unknowing it was Syracuse. <clears throat> I thought that was interesting. So I want to do a little something here, uh, hype versus reality. And this is, you know, this is because... Outlets like ESPN and Fox, they concentrate on the Dukes, they concentrate on the North Carolinas. There's a high level of, of player in this league, and a lot of these players are going unnoticed because nobody gives them any shine. Nobody gives them any sunlight. They keep them under rocks. This is more that blue blood uh, you know, love that these major media outlets serve up. Um, and, and I don't know if the NCAA is the driving force behind that, but... ESPN, they, they pay so much attention to some, some you know, particular teams, half dozen, 15 teams, that a lot of these good players aren't being recognized. So the first example, we're going to go player A. In, again, this is in ACC games only. 10.7 points, 4.7 assists, 2 rebounds, 35% from deep, 3 turnovers per game, and 68% from the line. Um, not overly impressive stats by any stretch, in my humble opinion. Player B is 11.1 points per game, 2.9 assists per game, 2.9 rebounds per game, 40% from deep, uh, three turnovers per game, 69% from the line. Now, fans of these teams are going to know who these players are, and I'm going to tell you, player one is Trayvon Duval. Player two is Jose Alvarado from Georgia Tech, which, you know, Alvarado didn't come in with a huge rep. Alvarado didn't come in with, he's going to be the next Derrick Rose rep, which, you know, I thought, having watched Duval play in high school, he's a fucking maniac. But, I mean, he had a nice dunk yesterday, nice moment yesterday. He can't shoot worth a shit. Um, I, I don't know if he's an NBA player right now. Of course, you know, look at Derrick Rose. He couldn't shoot in college either. He went to the NBA and he was an MVP. So, do I think Alvarado's better than Duval? No. But I also don't think that anybody recognizes Alvarado as a really good player. Could Alvarado go to Duke and Duke be as good as they are? Without Duval and with Alvarado? Yeah, I think so. Because Alvarado's a fucking pit bull. And I don't know what Duval is, but I don't know. 
he's a guy I think obviously Duval has a high upside his ceiling is very high he could go he has the makeup of somebody who could go to the NBA learn how to shoot and be a perennial all-star I'm not saying that Alvarado's better I'm saying that Alvarado's good and I think that that people that maybe casual fans you know among ACC fans need to start recognizing the high level of players such as Jerome Robinson, such as Jose Alvarado, that are that are in this league. Uh, going on to the next one, player A, 17.5 points per game, 3 assists per game, 4.4 rebounds, 34% from deep, 92% from the line. Um, I just talked about him, so you probably know who it is. Player B, 17.5 points, 5.7 assists, 2.9 rebounds, 39% from deep, and 76% from the line. Player A is Joel Berry. Player B is Justin Robinson of Virginia Tech. Justin Robinson's having a better season than Joel Berry. There's really no equivocations. There's no and or ifs or buts. Justin Robinson's having a better senior or a better senior Jesus, a better season this year than Joel Berry. And Joel Berry's team is better, but Virginia Tech's also beat North Carolina. So I'm gonna let you draw whatever conclusion you want from that, and I'm gonna keep on going. Player A, 18.3 points per game. By the way, this one's my favorite. 18.3 points per game, 3.6 rebounds per game, 3.4 assists per game, 37% from deep, 93% from the line. Player B, again, in-conference play, 11.5 points per game, 3.8 uh, rebounds per game, 5.1 assists per game, 26% from deep, and 76% from the line. Now, again, big grin, big smile. Player A is Temple Gibbs from Notre Dame. Who I said, and I'm going to say it every time I say his fucking name, people, I called it. Preseason, this guy was going to be the breakout player of the year in the conference. Temple Gibbs is fucking awesome. Player B, Grayson Allen out of Duke. That's right. Grayson Allen shooting 26% in conference play from three land this year. Um, maybe he's uh, taking on a leadership role. That's what the Duke fans are going to say. He's the senior amongst the freshmen. He is now giving all the scoring responsibilities to Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter, and he's just being a leader. I call shenanigans on that shit. He's just having a bad fucking year. I don't know if he's hurt. Certainly possible. I didn't see any evidence of that yesterday. Grayson Allen, at one point, averaged 22 points over the course of a season during his sophomore year. Um, right now he's playing his way out of the draft, which, which just means that somebody's going to get a hell of a player late in the draft. Hello, San Antonio Spurs. He'll probably go there and be a fucking six-time MVP. But... Grayson Allen has not been very good, and nobody talks about Temple Gibbs. Except me, because I'm awesome, and I know shit, and I watch the games. Temple Gibbs is fucking good. People need to start watching him. He's the reason that, I mean, I know Notre Dame lost seven in a row, but Matt Farrell ain't doing all this by himself since he's come back. Temple Gibbs is out there doing some shit. You know, when they blew out Syracuse, that was TJ Gibbs. You know, they lost seven in a row, but they were still very competitive. Why were they competitive? Because of T.J. Gibbs. You know, the kid's good. I recommend you should watch him. Now, why do I bring this up? You know, I, I, I say it's because of the Jerome Robinson thing. There's also a little bit of other stuff going on here. A lot of it has to do with Duke's, next, Duke's recruiting class for next year. I said on Twitter a couple weeks ago that this Zion Williamson kid, who I've seen play, is not all that. You know, ESPN and, and Paul Biancardi, they, they have a tendency, just like the NBA. Remember at one point, the NBA was all about potential. Remember Darius Miles? All the potential. So athletic. Going to be a star. Darius Miles didn't do shit. Scored a little bit. Eh, he was out of the league in a few years. Well, let's say he's out of the starting lineup, and then he kind of floated around for a while. Anyway, hype versus reality. Zion Williamson is hype. Zion Williamson got a, a show on ESPN, got his name out there. He's all over YouTube. Why? Because he dunks. He's going to break backboards. He plays like the rim sodomized his girlfriend. Okay? It's great that you can dunk. He's going to rebound like a maniac as well. Um, he's going to go to a team where he's going to be the fifth option on that roster. Um, and he can hide a little bit. And he's going to do some shit that's going to get him on Sports Center. Hype versus reality. The reality is the kid that's going to North Carolina, Nasir Little, is twice the fucking player that Zion Williamson is. Nasir Little, for those who have not seen him play, is a 6'7 combo guy, three-level scorer, you know, solid build. He can shoot it. He can throw it down with reckless abandon as well. 
Um, I've had a couple conversations with his dad. He comes, uh, you know, Nas comes from a good family, I think. Um, I, I think Nasir Little is a guy that's going to go to Carolina and be an instant fan favorite, and I think he's going to outplay Zion, you know, clearly and, and you know, efficiently. And there's going to be no doubt that Little was even even as a five star, even as a five star top fifteen player, Zion, uh, Nasir Little is the number two player in this incoming recruiting class. I'm gonna say that right now. I think the top three are Barrett, Little, and Cam Reddish. Yeah, and I, and I think Reddish is a hell of a player in his own right. But hype versus reality. YouTube star against a, a you know a quiet kid, an unassuming kid. Um, a kid who has been accused of things in the recruiting process that I think might be unwarranted. Um, just having a couple conversations with his dad, just seeing how his dad kind of carries himself, you know, how his dad vehemently denies that there was any situation where they received money. I, I, I'm a believer. And having seen the kid play, UNC fans, you guys are getting a hell of a kid, hell of a player, and I think, you know, again, I'm going to say it again, hype versus reality. Duke's getting a dunker, UNC is getting a basketball player. Keep an eye on that next year. You can argue with me about it now. I'll serve up the crow next fall. All right. Uh, one other thing that I wanted to bring up today, actually, there's a couple more things, so I just lied a little bit, but I think the ACC is set up again this year for not performing well in the tournament. And I think it, it can be directly attributed to how the ACC officials call the games during ACC play. I'm watching UVA Virginia Tech at about, I don't know, five o'clock this morning um, on a replay. There wasn't a foul called for like the first nine minutes of the game. Has anybody seen Virginia play basketball? I mean, they're basically playing football. You know, and Virginia Tech doesn't have any height. Kerry Blackshear's foul prone. Uh, you know, they're, they're good. they let them play. They, and at one point uh, during the UNC game the other day, I see Trayvon Duvall literally put his hand in Joel Berry's chest and push him away as he's bringing the ball up the court. Nothing was called. Um, Chris Clark and uh, Isaiah Wilkins going for a rebound the other day. Nothing was called. When, when these guys get to the tournament, and these, and these officials call these games as tight as they tend to do in the NCAA tournament, these ACC teams are going to struggle, especially those teams that don't have a whole lot of depth. Um, it's going to be interesting to watch, just to say the least. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. I just wanted to put it out there. Something to keep an eye on is, is the officiating of the tournament, how it affects ACC teams specifically. Uh, some recruiting news from this week. FSU lands another kid, um, this time a kid out of Florida, top 100 kid. Carlton Young just continues to fucking kill it. Somebody give this guy a fucking head coaching job, please. This kid is Zim Wokeji. If I fucked up his last name, I apologize. It's a difficult one. N-W-O-K-E-J-I. He is the number 76th ranked recruit, according to the 24-7 Sports Composite Rankings. Um... He was also a, uh, a high-level target for uh, GT and Virginia Tech. Um, this kid is interesting. He comes from the uh, the one family AAU team out of Florida. Uh, same team as Nasir Little, um, uh, Ronald Segu, uh, some other players. If if you pay attention to that uh, to that circuit, uh, there's another kid too, a foreign kid, big kid. I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, he is this guy, this kid Zim. He is almost effortless, effortless looking in his athleticism. Um, he, he can throw it down, but he also has some, you know, some nice silky floaters, up and unders, things like that. Uh, a good looking prospect. He kind of brings, he, he's a three level scorer first and foremost. On his jumper though, especially from deep, he kind of brings the ball down from like his, his, his gut area, his appendix area. Um, I'm not sure if he's gonna have, if he's gonna struggle getting that off in conference play or not um, or at the D1 level in general um, obviously uh, Florida State plays a, is a difficult schedule all the way around so playing high level D1 schools uh, they might have to tighten that up a little bit I don't know if he's going to get away with that uh, we've seen people in the past players in the past that when they have a long a long process to get the ball off 
um, they tend to struggle a little bit because they have to hurry it up a little bit more uh, to get that to get that deep shot off. But he's I think he's a good looking kid. He's a he's a, a typical FSU player. I mean you could I didn't see this commitment necessarily coming so soon. Um, I thought G Tech had a legit shot at him. I thought Virginia Tech obviously had a legit shot at him. But Carlton Young is a hell of a recruiter. Obviously Leonard Hamilton's a hell of a closer. Um, this is a good get for them uh, coming in. Uh, he's, he'll probably end up replacing or taking over for MJ Walker at some point when Walker goes pro. Uh, you know, it's just Florida State being Florida State. Carlton Young continues to put players in that in that system, and uh, Leonard Hamilton continues to underachieve with them. So we'll see what happens here. Uh, moving on to the injury report, Ty Jerome had a wrap on his hands second half of the Virginia Tech game. Didn't really seem to affect him a whole lot. Uh, he still made some really nice shots. Uh, you know, the elbow jumper uh, to bring him. Uh, no, to tie the game and then the little floater uh, before that to bring them within two. Um, you know, I don't know what it means. I don't know if it's something that's going to blow up on him the day after. Um, something to keep an eye on for sure. Terrence Mann, again, I said earlier, Terrence Mann hasn't been right for the last three halves now. Um, keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on Florida State. If their defensive you know, efficiency goes down, you know, way, way down. You're going to know something's wrong with Mann specifically because he's the leader on the defensive end of the floor. He's the guy, the lockdown guy. I just, I don't think he's right. Watching him play, I don't think he's right. Uh, Seventh Woods returned uh, for UNC. They're in the Duke game. Uh, he played again yesterday. Only seven minutes played between the two games. So, again, he's not, he, he's not a guy that's going to go out there and get you 10, 15 points, but he's a good depth player behind Barry. Um, I think he's a solid player. Obviously, he's got a little bit of rust. He's been out a long time, but Seventh Woods is finally back. Uh, Temple Gibbs did go knee-to-knee -knee yesterday. He returned. He was less effective in that game. Um, something. This is definitely something to keep an eye on because there's a distinct possibility you could, he could wake up this morning and that knee could be the size of a fucking watermelon. Um, he's obviously a key player for them. Uh, so, again, something to keep an eye on. Uh, Malik Abu, I had speculated on Malik uh, a, a few times. Uh, I didn't think he was right. He had he had some dunks yesterday that basically said, hey, Pecone, I'm good. Uh, Mike Bray, this is the biggie of the week right here, folks. Mike Bray did comment to Fighting Irish Daily, Fighting Irish Sports, that Bonzi Colson had x-rays that were positive. He's going to have another x-ray this coming Saturday. And then if that's good, they're going to start conditioning him for a return. Uh, there had been some speculation that Colson wouldn't be back at all. That uh, when he first got injured, they would keep him up for the rest of his career and he's going to go directly into you know training for the NBA. That he would not be back. Uh, Bray did say in the interview that Colson... Um, wants to come back, wants to play for the tournament, wants to play. I'm not sure if he said he wants to play in the ACC tournament. Um, that would be my assumption. Uh, they start conditioning him on Wednesday, or actually Thursday, I'm sure. They're trying to get him ready for the ACC tournament, unless things get dire. I think right now they're playing well enough um, to... They're playing well enough to justify not bringing him back until then. Now, if they drop a game that they shouldn't drop, maybe he comes back early. It might be within, you know, in their best interest to bring him back a game before the ACC tournament just to get him some minutes. Uh, we'll see what happens there. He also commented on Donna, uh, DJ Harvey, who was out with a bone bruise in his knee, been out for the last four or five weeks or so. Uh, they expect him to return at the BC game the game at BC on 217 on February 17th. So uh, a week from yesterday, they're expecting uh, Harvey back, which Harvey did play pretty well after Colson went down for a game. He had a career-high 17 points. So Harvey may be a stopgap type player uh, in the front court for them uh, until Colson feels like he needs to be back or until Bray feels that he's ready. Uh, moving into the stock report. This was interesting. Um, I'm not really selling anybody right now. Uh, I think GT, Wake, Pitt, BC are all out. There's no reason to sell them. I mean, they're already sold. They're already on the boat. They're already down the river. You know, it's it's not a situation where I need to hammer on those guys, even though it seems like right now I realize that I kind of am. So I'm going to move on to who I'm holding. I'm holding out on Notre Dame right now. They're currently 15-10. and 10. I think they could end up 19-12. and 12. Again, Harvey's coming back. They're scoring points over the last couple games. Farrell looks like he's fully healed. Um, they put up 96 yesterday without Colson, without Harvey. I mean, shit, you know, let those guys heal. If they can if they can finish up 4 and 2, uh possibly 3 and 3, 
and they get Colson back for the ACC tournament and or the NCAA, you know, that, that's a good situation for them. I think that's a win, given, given how they've struggled this year and how injuries have killed them this year. Um, you know, that, that's, that's about the best you can hope for. Uh, their schedule lines up fairly nicely for the end of the season. I think Farrell and TJ Gibbs are playing well enough, you know, granted if TJ Gibbs remains healthy. Um, and, and Gebbin. Gebbin was, you know, he had another double-double So yesterday. So right now it's, it's not, you know, a code red situation in South Bend. Again, remember, they still have a win over Wichita State, you know, early in the season, but it still counts, you know. So right now Notre Dame has an outside shot to steal a bid from a team like NC State, a team like Syracuse, I think. I think. I think Notre Dame is better than Syracuse, obviously. Look at the power rankings. So keep an eye on Notre Dame. See what they do the last six games. Um, who am I buying? I'm buying NC State. I'm sorry. Jesus. Sorry. 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 I'm buying North Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was a legit accident, and I apologize for it. Um, watching Carolina right now, they played they played big against Duke, and they, and they looked pretty good. They played small against Duke. They actually started small, which surprised me the other night. Uh, they went with a stretch four offense, and they played well. Um, if Cam Johnson's going to grab you 13 rebounds, along with Theo Pinson at the three, who's going to get you probably five or six at the least in a big game, he's probably going to get you more. Um, why not? They can play both ways. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think they're, they have a higher upside if they play stretch four. I've said this over and over again. But now that they've actually done it, they look they look good doing it. And they look good playing big, too. You know, Manley's going to run. Manley has emerged as the best freshman out of that trio of freshman um, big men. Uh, Huffman has kind of faded away a little bit. Garrison Brooks played a couple spot minutes in that game. But they look good in the half court. They look good on the fast break. They look good when they play big. They look good when they play stretch four. So, and, and you know, UNC, if you haven't looked, you know, a lot of people, eh, they lost at home to NC State. Well, NC State's pretty fucking good, too. And it's not like NC State's traveling a long ways to get to Chapel Hill. They're fucking eight miles down the road. You know, there's a lot of NC State fans there. You know, it's not a 10-hour plane ride. They're not going to Oregon. You know, they're going down the fucking road. You know, you can't even listen to a whole damn Tool song before you, before you arrive in Chapel Hill. So, Carolina, if you look at their body of work and you look how they played against Duke, they were resilient. You know, Duke made a couple little runs. Duke took the lead. You know, they have a senior point guard. They have a senior big man who is just, when he's on, he is one of the most dominant forces I've seen in college basketball this year. It's crazy that Luke May was a fucking walk-on. It's crazy. Uh, Cam Johnson, Kenny Williams. Kenny Williams looks like just a pure shooter right now. Uh, you know, he had struggled. That Duke game, holy moly. Okay, so I'm buying UNC. I, I think their upside, especially in the tournament, especially with a guy like Joel Berry, who has been all-tournament team twice, you know, most outstanding player once, that's going to benefit them, obviously, people. UNC is a sleeper within the ACC. Everybody's thinking Virginia and Duke. UNC might make it further than both of them. If Virginia shows up like they did yesterday, if those three, if that trio of Hall and Guy and Jerome go 14 of 47 again, Virginia's out in the second round. You know, and UNC with that senior leadership, you know, they're they're a Final Four team potentially. That's who I'm buying this week, and I feel confident in it for the first time in weeks. I didn't feel confident with FSU, and look what happened—they went in the shitter. All right, wrap up today's show. Today's games: <laughs> Duke and Georgia Tech. Duke goes down to Atlanta, having lost back-to-back -back games. If you're sitting in the first few rows, bring a fucking raincoat to this game because it's going to be a bloodbath. Oh, I don't even want to watch this game today. But I can't call myself a fan and not watch my boys play, even now, even what I expect. Uh, G Tech can't really score. They have some bigs that can match up well, but the talent discrepancy between Bagley and Carter and Gay and Lammers is huge. You know, Lammers is going to outwork almost everybody, but at some point, you got to concede the fact that Bagley is just superior. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see that matchup, especially with Lammers coming off maybe the worst game of his career since he's been, you know, a legitimate ACC starter. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Georgia Tech responds at home today um, after getting their tits kicked in at Louisville. Um, Louisville, speaking of them, they go to Pitt today. You know, uh, Pitt sucks. But the one thing that I wonder about, the next game after Pitt, Louisville plays UNC. Yeah, potentially 
You know, you never know what you're going to get with Louisville. Said it earlier. Potentially, could Louisville be looking ahead to North Carolina and get surprised by Pitt? <laughs> no. But it might be a close game. Eh, something to pay attention to. Probably the biggest, most meaningful game of the day is Wake Forest traveling to Syracuse. Why? Because Wake Forest has a shot at the tournament? No, not at all. It's because Syracuse does, and Wake Forest has the talent to beat them. Now, on the road, eh, but Brian Crawford's playing well lately. Chondi Brown's really playing well lately. Obviously, Keyshawn Woods is fairly steady. Um, you know, he's going to get double figures probably. Um, this is a must-win game for Syracuse. Syracuse schedule to close the season is at Miami and at Duke and at BC. They get Clemson, UNC, and NC State at home. There's no easy game there. Not a single one. Um, they they could win at BC. I, I think that's the most likely. They could beat NC State at home. That, you know, that's going to be a battle between two teams that need that win. It's going to be interesting. Uh, Syracuse is in a pretty good spot as far as playing teams that they're probably competing against for, for those last few spots in the tournament. Wake, you know, they again, they have the talent. They could go up there and win. Um, I don't think it's likely. But then again, what if Syracuse lays, a, lays an egg and scores 51 again? Or fucking 49 or whatever the hell it was. And granted, that was against Virginia and Wake doesn't play defense. But sometimes Syracuse just doesn't shoot the ball well. And they're heavily reliant on it. That is something to keep an eye on. That is the game of the day that I'm looking forward least to watching, but it's probably the most important game of the day. Oh, also, uh, Dengadel sat out the G-Tech game. Yeah, and they still won by 23. <laughs> um, I don't know if he's going to play today, but that's another facet to that matchup at Pittsburgh. Remember, Louisville on the road, as inconsistent as they are. They don't share the ball. They don't have Dengadel. Let's see what happens. You know, I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Um, that is the ACC basketball report for this week. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing it. Uh, don't forget to be a patron. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to rate, review, leave me hateful comments as long as you give me a five-star rating. Big kisses. Have a good one.